Hey listeners, welcome to Finding History, the podcast where I, Victoria, examine the lives and actions of historical figures with an emphasis on monarchy. I also touch base on political movements, gender politics, and much more, but I do all of this with my own special twist. This podcast is a place I come to share history and how the actions of a few shape the world we know today, the good, the bad, and the downright terrifying. In this podcast, I do swear, so if you have little ones that love to parrot foul words, maybe wait till they are tucked in to give this podcast a listen. I talk about monarchy, religion, and colonialism, so one can expect me to drop a few F-bombs and C-grenades, but all well-deserved, I assure you. If you like what you hear and would love to show your support, reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at Finding History Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast, Finding History. I'm your host, Victoria, and today's topic of discussion is the wonderfully talented Trobaritz of Occitania. The Trobaritz were female troubadours who were composers and performers of the Occitania region and sang songs of courtly love from the 12th to mid-13th century. Occitania refers to the south of France, but also parts of northern Spain and a small corner of Italy. The word Trobaritz comes from a 13th century romance prose titled Flabenca, written in the Occitan language. It is believed to have come from the Provencal word trobar, which means to find or to compose. The Trobaritz are the first known female composers of Western secular music as all earlier known female composers wrote sacred music. Now, I had heard of troubadours and their position in the role of courtly love, but never heard of troubarets until I started researching Eleanor of Aquitaine and courtly love with more focus than before. Eleanor's own grandfather was a troubadour who sang about his promiscuity, and Eleanor's problematic son Richard I was a poet, and wrote in the troubadour style. It was Eleanor's daughter from her first marriage, Marie, that would become a big supporter of the arts and literature. She ascribed to the belief that romantic love could not exist within the confines of marriage, and therefore supported the ideologies of courtly love. If you would like to learn more about courtly love, check out my brief history of courtly love in the previous episode. Some of my thoughts have changed on the topic since that recording, but with every subject I come to learn about, I realize more and more that one's research is never over or complete. So normalize changing your view after learning more information. I was very happy to have stumbled upon the work of the Trebaritz, seeing as very little of it exists today, and I'll touch more on why that is towards the end of this episode. We have this idea of the Middle Ages as being not a good place to be a woman, where women are more so property of men, and they found their fulfillment in being a wife and a mother of many sons. I won't argue. The Middle Ages was not a safe place to be a woman, and many, many women suffered under the relentless trauma that comes with that period. Therefore, it is always a pleasant surprise to see women not only creating art, but establishing their own voice in such a patriarchal world. 
The region of Occitania was considered progressive in the Middle Ages, especially in comparison to the Parisian court of the north, which was very conservative. This region from the 11th to 13th centuries served as a popular trading spot, and many different cultures would come together. Thoughts, ideas, styles, and influence flourished during this time, and women were treated, well, slightly better than they were in other parts of the continent. Women were allowed to inherit land, and had closer equal standing to men. It is also theorized that the Troparits were able to thrive as a lot of men in the region were off on crusade, and this absence or reduction of men gave women more creative opportunities, and dare I say, or dare I suggest, that women probably felt safer expressing themselves in a world with less men. Troubadours were often men of noble birth, who wrote about women of the court. Men sang tales of chivalrous knights proving their love to a fair lady, or pining for the attention of a married mistress, a quest for a lady's love and admiration. Troubadours used their skill as musicians for praise and advancement in the court of Occitane. Troubarits, however, also wrote about romances, but in a much more direct way than their male counterparts. They wrote from their own experiences and in their own highly personalized language, as if writing in a journal or an intimate conversation. It is believed that the Troparits composed out of personal need rather than for profit. It is important to acknowledge that Occitania was not a feminist society, and courtly love wasn't very feminist either. Initial thought might not see praising women as being anti-feminist necessarily, but being idolized isn't all that great when it does not come with the actual perks like, you know, basic human rights. You can tell someone you admire them, but that doesn't mean anything if you do not see them as someone deserving of equality and respect. I also find it convenient that we do not have any accounts of how women perceive this attention they got from troubadours. I mean, what, what, what if they were harassing troubadours who were like high-key stalkers? It could happen, and it probably did. I know in my last episode, I was kind of DTF for the idea of a man referring to his lady love as my lord or liege, but perhaps that is just the pandemic thirst persevering, and I guess that's okay. There's some pretty music that came from that era that, thankfully, we still have. It is, however, important to understand the context and the society in which it came from. Troubadours and Troubarits wrote in two styles of song, Kanzo and Tenzo. Kanzo were love songs, from the poet's point of view, addressing a lover who doesn't answer back. Tenzo were debate poems featuring two poet-singers, often between a man and a woman, going back and forth. There is debate among scholars and music historians regarding the debate poems, the tenzos. The tradition was for the man's part to come first, so much of the attribution generally was given to the troubadour rather than the troubarits, even if the troubarits was the actual composer. Therefore, we will never know just how many 12th and 13th century female composers were out there. 
While Occitania was more progressive than the Parisian court, there were still restrictions on what women could and couldn't do. Women were not allowed free reign over their lives, and that extends to their art. Certain themes were off-limits to the Trobaritz. Singing or writing about politics was considered masculine and was off-limits to women. There were certain rules that dictated how music and lyrics should flow, and this being medieval Europe, the musical world was male-dominated. This drove Trobaritz to really establish their own distinctive and unique voices. The Trobaritz Castellosa of the 13th century was rumored to be in love with a man by the name of Armand de Brion, a member of the House of Brion, who was of higher rank than her, and he is believed to be the subject of her three consos that still survive today. She was married to a man known as Turk de Marona, who had participated in one of the Crusades. Here is a part from one of her consos titled, um, and bear with me, I do not speak uh, Occitan, it is titled A Mix Se U Trobes Avenen. Friend, if I have found you, being kind. All are crazy who reproach me for loving, as it is fitting to me. And who says this does not know how it is? Nor do I now look at you as I once did, when you told me not to be distressed, that at any time it will happen that I will again have joy, and these words alone fill my heart with joy. All other love means nothing. Certainly there are but no other joys except yours that lifts and revives me. When I feel but only pain and distress, so I will be brought pleasure and joy of you, friend, from whom I cannot convert. I have no joy, nor do I hope for help but what rest I shall have when I sleep. Now this to me kind of sounds like a, a, a po like a much more romantic poem uh, for a fuckboy that my tween self probably would have written back in the, the 2000s. But um, Castellosa keeps to the courtly love tradition of raising the beloved upon a pedestal and gives him power over her while diminishing her own value. And you see this in the line of, I have no joy, nor do I hope for help. Castellosa could also be referring to her position as a woman in society. Being a woman, she is socially below him and drawing attention to the roles women have to play. Therefore, the pedestal could be imaginary. And to be honest, the act of putting one upon a pedestal is a lie and confines the standards of behavior and beauty, which is big in the realm of courtly love. Regardless of Castellosa's position in the Occitanian world, the woman, the woman is beneath the man and must beg his favor. If you are curious about what 13th century Occitan sounded like, here is a verse by Trobaritz, Comtesse de Dia, called a chanter me de so kio non varia, and that translates to I must sing a song I'd rather not.
Occitan, or it is also referred to as Lenguidoc, evolved from Latin. Just from listening to this song, one can hear how this language influenced the Romantic languages. This verse from the Comtessa translates as, I must sing of what I do not want. I am so angry with the one whom I love, because I love him more than anything. Mercy nor courtesy moves him. Neither does my beauty, nor my worthiness, nor my good sense, for I am deceived and betrayed, as much as I should be if I were ugly. I take comfort because I never did anything wrong. We have one poem from the Troparitz that is written to another woman, titled Na Maria Pretz y Fina Valor which in English is Lady Maria in Your Merit and Distinction. The poem is written by Beatrice de Romance, and in this poem she expressed her love for Maria in the traditional Finn Amour style, aka courtly love style, both in terms of physical longing and admiration. Some scholars argue that Beatrice was simply writing from a masculine point of view and taking on the voice of a man. What this is saying to me is that this poem is still queer. Whether it was a woman acting as a man to write about another woman, or possibly Beatrice was trans and wrote as a man to a woman, the vibe is still queer. And in the eyes of medieval Europe, for a woman to assume a masculine role was sodomy. So I still, I still get gay vibes, guys. There is also the argument that Beatrice could have been writing about the Virgin Mary. Possibly, sure, but maybe not. Though most accounts of lesbianism in the Middle Ages comes from the church as nuns got it on quite frequently. Feminist theorist Carol Ann Douglas states, In the Middle Ages, the church established penalties for nuns who slept together and used dildos. This shows that nuns were having sexual relationships with each other. Further and more obvious evidence of non-sexual dalliances is found in a love letter sent from one Bavarian nun to another that states, It kills me to remember how you touched my breast. Quite a few scholars see the poem of Na Maria as being lesbian-like. Scholars tend to use uh, sexual lesbians and lesbian-like to describe homosexual activity between women of the Middle Ages. Sexual lesbians are those who physically acted on their lesbian desires. The Bavarian nuns are an example of sexual lesbians. And lesbian-like describes women whose lives might have particularly offered opportunities for same-sex love. The term lesbian-like came from American historian Judith Bennett. The poem itself is written in four stanzas and is clearly a love poem. If we are to believe that Trobaritz wrote in an intimate style as if they were journaling, 
one could see this poem as being that of the poet's own personal desires. Now why don't you judge the poem for yourself, and let me know what you think the author's intentions were. Lady Maria, value and valiance, joy and beauty and intelligence, honor, worth, and hospitality, noble speech and pleasing company, fine, sweet face, and merry countenance, gentle gaze and loving glance, all these in you, and not the trickster's art, they draw me toward you with an honest heart. I pray you, if it please you, fine amour, and jouissance, and sweet humility, may bring the solace I've been longing for, and grant me, lovely lady, if it please you, the gift from which I draw all hope and happiness, in you lie all my love and lust and liking, through you I drink up all I taste of gladness, and for you I've spent many hours sighing. And since your valiance and beauty elevate you over other ladies, none surpasses you, I pray you, if it please you, in song I dedicate to you. Don't love a wooer who's untrue, lovely lady, whom worth and joy exalt, and a noble speech to you I send my song, for gaiety and gladness are in you, and all good gifts a man might choose among. We know about the Trobaritz work based on their own personal vidas. Vidas are brief prose biographies written in Occitan, and both troubadours and troubaritz had them. It is believed that these biographies are mostly embellished, and they are almost works of fiction. 19th century troubadour historian Alfred Jean Roy calls Vidas ancestors of modern novels. Vidas would also include razos, which introduced poems and gave a little explanation of the subject matter. Razos were not included in all Vidas, and many, many Vidas were lost. We know of about 20 Trobarits, yet only five complete Vidas of theirs survive. Tibors, the Comtes de Dia, Avares de Picargu, sorry, Castelloza, and Lombarda. The rest are featured in Vidas or Razos of other troubadours. The troubadours and troubarits were not the only people thriving in Occitania. A religious sect called Catharism sprouted up and began to spread. Catharism is believed to have begun somewhere in the east, quite possibly in the Byzantine Empire, but religious historians are uncertain. The simplest way I can describe Catharism is that it was a Christian dualist religion, which is the moral or spiritual belief that two fundamental concepts exist, which often oppose each other. In Catharism, they believed in two gods, a good god who represents the New Testament and rules over the spiritual world, and the evil god of the Old Testament who represents the physical world. There is a lot of wild things involved in this religion, and I won't go into too much detail about it on here. I suggest if you want to learn more about it, check out the podcast True Crime Medieval and the episode on the Albigensian Crusade. Anyway, the Catholic Church was not having any of Catharism, and Pope Innocent III and his supporters were definitely not happy. 
Not to mention that life in Occitania was thriving in comparison to many parts of conservative Europe. The troubadour and troubadour's influence had taken hold all throughout the land. The church saw this spread in religious diversity and women in art as a threat to the church and put forth a movement to wipe them both out before the region drifted too far from church control. Secular music was frowned upon by clergy. Music, art, and etc. were man-made creations that captivated people and took the attention away from God, or so the church argued. A woman creating secular music literally made them lose their damn minds. I believe Troberitz were fairly well known throughout Europe. We may not have an exact account of how many there were, but I believe it was enough to make the clergy shake in their boots. Northern France, under the instruction of the Pope, and no doubt their own personal dominance, waged war on the heretical new religion. This war waged on uh, from 1209 to 1229. By 1250, Catharism had been destroyed, and with it took regional literature, art, and music. The war led to the destruction of Cathar buildings, including libraries, which held much of Troubadour and Troubadour's poetry and music. Most of what survives today were from wealthy nobles' personal collections that had either been passed down through generations or hidden away from the thieving hands of Catholic imperialism. From the 13th to the 17th centuries, French kings devoured bit by bit the land of Occitania by slaughtering the population with countless battles and wars. The French language became imposed, and by the 15th century, the nobility and wealthy elite of that region started to learn French and abandon Occitan. In 1539, Francis I, a constant rival to Henry VIII, imposed the use of French in administration. This essentially means that if one wanted to hold a high occupation, that one must adopt the imposed French language. In the 19th century, children who spoke Occitan were punished. This led to a deprecation of the language known as the shaming. Today, Occitan is still seen in signs in the region, signs of the region, and is still spoken by some. I do not think it is considered a dead language for that reason, but from what I have read, it is considered an endangered language. One has to wonder what would have become of the region of Occitania if it were allowed to remain as it was. Even without the imposition of the Parisian North and Pope Innocent III, I think once the plague hit, that could have been an end to that culture, as it was an end for so many. I am thankful that any of the Troubadour's work survives today. While it is widely accepted that troubadours inspired Troubadour's to create their own music, I personally believe that troubadours claim the work of women as their own, both using it to advance their own careers and knowing that they could get away with it. I also have no doubt that conservative French rule and the general disdain for women throughout French history resulted in the discarding of women composers. Again, how we have any work from these women is remarkable and it makes me wonder what could have been. My sources for this episode include Girls Speak Podcast episode on female troubadours, 
the article Lesbians in the Middle Ages, Beatrice de Romans, uh, from Portland State University of the Young Historian Conference, lunchticket.com for uh, lyric translations, and butterflycrossing.net, Castelloza, a Medieval Mystery, Chobaritz, The Lady Composers of Medieval France by Sarah Berry from medium.com and trobe slash eu.net. I also used Wikipedia for the recording of Comtesse de Dia's Conso. And while there are songs by Chobaritz available on YouTube and listening services, I think the version that is available via Wikipedia is the most authentic sounding as I just get this image of a woman singing in an open field circa 12th century. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Finding History. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Finding History Podcast. Thank you for listening, and until we meet again, keep safe and stay woke. Bye-bye.